All right, welcome everybody uh, to this week's podcast. And uh, Peter, this is your pick this week, and we are going to do. Uh, it's a really, it's a really rare and esoteric film that uh, we're hoping some of the listeners have seen. It's 1999's Wachowski's The Matrix. Good evening. I think actually, if we want to do something obscure, we could do one of the sequels, like The Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> right. It was pretty obscure. I don't even remember them at all. I do remember being very puzzled that I understood nothing when I watched them. Yeah, you know, I did. You know, it's funny because in preparation for this, one thing that sort of came out is I was blurring things between the three films. Hmm. You know, and like some things I thought were in the Matrix were actually in another Matrix film. You actually remember the uh, the sequels? That's amazing. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I'm not. You know, I'm not an ex- I'm not a Matrix guru, but. Uh, you know, I, I certainly have, uh, I spent my time reading about and thinking about the Matrix. I even own, and I'm looking at it on my shelf, I even own the Animatrix. Did you ever see that? No. I remember was, the uh, disc, but I, I've never yeah, seen it. Yeah, it's like a sort of a series of, uh, anime shorts set in the Matrix universe. It's actually not bad. Yeah, um, we'll skip the, uh, plot summary. Yeah. You know what's amazing is this movie is 18 years old. I know. This movie was um, fairly early CGI and was basically like the bullet time stuff was shot on uh, film, 35 millimeter uh, film still cameras and then was composited um, to like a, a green screen or whatever. Can you call this early CGI? I don't know. I mean, this is post Titanic. This is post Starship yeah, Troopers. You know, I kind of feel like 97 was when both Starship Troopers and Titanic came out. And I kind of felt like <clears throat> that was the year that CG kind of became seamless for the first time as opposed to, you know, the last Starfighter or something. Park. Yeah. Or like, well, like, for example, in Jurassic Park and Terminator 2, there was a lot of CGI, but, you know, if you added up all the CGI in those movies, it was, you know, seven or nine minutes or something like that. Whereas, right. you know, like when you saw, like, you know, Starship Troopers or Titanic, like it was just interwoven everywhere all the time. Yeah. You know, and, and this movie, this movie is like that. I mean, the CGI is just all throughout from top to bottom. And honestly, I think it holds up quite well. Like... Like, most of the scenes in this movie look great to this day, I think. No, I think the movie still looks really good. And it was it was so widely ripped off that it, like many movies that are widely imitated and sort of are groundbreaking or like an, become an inflection point, um, you know, it, you, it, it doesn't look original anymore because you've seen it copied so many times. But you know, like train, train spotting copied others, but then, you know, there was a sort of... Uh, common style after that there are a lot of movies like that yeah but i have to tell you though and i'll I'll get to this i have a little monologue to say about this i mean if any movie on earth deserves to be ripped off it's the matrix because the matrix stole from everyone i mean it's like it reminds me of that famous that famous line you know good artists borrow great artists steal like so much of the matrix is stolen hook line and sinker from so many other sources yeah that like the wachowskis have not one leg to stand on if people rip off the matrix oh of course not and i think the biggest thing that the matrix did in hindsight because when you watch it it, it even i remember even when, when it 
at the time when it came out, it felt super familiar when you watched it. I mean, I'd never seen the the bullet time effect done really quite like that. I know that other people have used that um, that time slice photography technique, but I guess when they combined it with the compositing with the CGI, it was it was new. But it it has a very familiar feel when you see it. Yeah. Even then. Well, and and you'd kind of I think from also from things in TV commercials and music videos, <clears throat> you know, you had kind of seen other similar things in the past. I kind of came around to these movies the long way. Like I actually, the first time I saw The Matrix, I had a very negative. I shouldn't say negative, but I did not have a good reaction to it. Like, and it was only on subsequent viewings over a couple of years that I kind of found myself one day liking it. You warmed up to it gradually. Well, you know, it, it's a funny story because it kind of involves Raiders of the Lost Ark in a weird way. And but not Star Trek? No, no. Although there's a little Doctor Who woven in here, too. Um, but, you know, it's got to involve Star Trek directly somehow. <laughs> we'll find some 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 way. I think I think season four of so episode four of season three of Deep Space Nine. No, I'm kidding. Um, but, You're probably not kidding. You know, when I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark... I saw it with my brother, and we saw it, and uh, as soon as it was over, you know, our, my mom was due to pick us up, and we were just so enthralled by Raiders of the Lost Ark. We couldn't believe how good it was. Like, it was truly, you know, like, with the exception of perhaps Star Wars, it was sort of the biggest film of, of my childhood. And we mm-hmm. ran out to the lobby, and we called my mom from a payphone, um, and we said, don't pick us up, we're going to see it again. This was when you could just sit in the theater, and they wouldn't kick you out. Um, mm-hmm. It was at Whitman, by the way. Um, Especially that theater. Yeah. And we watched Raiders of the Lost Ark twice. And my brother and I, we just floated out of that movie on the clouds. We were so excited. And we came home and we could not stop talking about it. So my dad said, I'll go tomorrow. So I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark three times in less than 24 hours. And mm-hmm. when, the third time, you know, my brother and I loved it just as much. And when we mm-hmm. came out, we said to our dad, wasn't that the greatest thing ever? And my dad kind of shrugged, and he was like, I'd seen everything in that movie before. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, <laughs> well, that's just an homage to the movies I watched as a kid. And I remember my, like, right. my dad kind of got in the car, and he was like, eh. So when I saw The Matrix... Even the serials, like even right. the shorts. Right, well, you my know, dad right was a kid. The whole movies. Yeah, my dad was a right. kid in the 40s and 50s. And, you know, I was also too young and ignorant to know that that's exactly the point of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, Lawrence Kazan wrote that movie as an homage to the serials of the 40s and 50s. Right. So anyway, and fast, forward, fast forward to, <clears throat> to The Matrix. And so The Matrix, had, I had heard other people talk about it. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread, greatest movie ever, da 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 So I go and I see the... Matrix, and I'm thinking like, I'm just sort of ticking off in my head all the other books and movies and television shows where I had seen these concepts before. And I mm-hmm. saw it with my roommate at the time, and we walked out of the theater, and he was just blown away, and I was like, meh, and I thought, oh, yeah. this is how my dad Philip felt Dick. when when he walked out of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, I had yeah. read, and, and you know, the, the most glaring one of many is is a book you turned me on. Do you know what I'm going to say? Neuromancer. Right, it's Neuromancer. I mean, it's, I mean, Neuromancer well, contains... Well, the term The Matrix well, comes actually, from there. Well, that's not even from uh, William Gibson. But I mean, the, the term, just, just all, so many key ideas in this movie are lifted straight from 
Neuromancer, Burning Chrome, and Mona Lisa Overdrive, the, the William Gibson so-called Sprawl trilogy. Yeah. Uh, and then sort of the more and more I thought about it, you know, like, there's just a ton of things, like, um, and again, I don't say this to trash the Matrix, but just, it shows you that this is sort of fertile ground, like, Overdrawn at the Memory Bank, which is not a great movie, um, but that has some very, very similar, uh, similar concepts, and the one thing that I was really struck by when I was watching this in the theater was, uh, you probably don't remember The Deadly Assassin, but The Deadly Assassin is a 1976 Doctor Who Tom Baker serial where uh, the highlight of the the story arc is the Doctor fights the villain, who I believe is the master in that episode, in a CGI world where anything you think can be made, and if you die in that world, you die, and the world is called The Matrix. <laughs> So and and the Matrix as presented in the Deadly Assassin is very similar uh, to the way that it's presented and the way that people interact in the in you know the Wachowskis movie. So that so like I kind of walked out of it kind of like in that frame of mind. And like I said, it was only on subsequent washings over a couple of years that I kind of was like, well, you know, I got to give them their due. They really did something good here, but it took me time. Right, and the 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 backbone paranoia of the movie is as philip k dick the back right. of the what's, paranoia right. of what's real reality. what's not real i can't tell right, right. and that's basically almost all of philip k dick well and yeah then, well i mean that's probably because of, i mean he was basically writing down science fictionalized versions of his own mental illness yeah and you know i think the besides the the effects the biggest impact the matrix had was as you alluded to, introducing people who didn't know about the other stuff, just like Raiders of the Lost Ark did, to that kind of genre. And also, it, it's, it popularized science fiction again to an extent, um, you know, so that other movies followed after that. And um, I, I think... Uh, I think the reaction was so overwhelmingly positive because it was well enough made that it really turned people on. Well, and, so and it, had, it had an incredibly slick look. You know what I mean? Like Carrie Ann Moss, Keanu Reeves, mm -hmm. um, Lauren Fishburne, you know, I mean. But Joe Pantoliano. Yeah, but really, but again, especially <laughs> Carrie Ann Moss and uh, Keanu Reeves. I mean, like, just sort of like the look of them and sort of their combat harnesses and sort of black and their hair is all slicked down. Like, you know, and it's filmed in such a stark way, especially in the fight scenes. Like, it's very, very gripping, especially I think if you're, you know, in your teens or 20s. Like, it's hard not to find this kind of imaging, imagery extremely compelling. Right. And especially if you haven't seen a bunch of Hong Kong cinema. Before yeah, it. Yeah, and, and remember too, you know, in 1999, you know, uh, if you wanted a lot of this stuff, like you couldn't just go on YouTube and get it. You know, like you had to go to the the Virgin Megastore or uh, Tower Records and leaf through Criterion Collection discs and pay a fortune for them. Like if you wanted to see Chow Yun Fat in some Hong Kong action movie, like most people had never right. seen that. And 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 that, by the way, that that disc at you know Tower Records was fifty bucks. Yep. You know. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't find the stuff. Right. So like and DVDs even were relatively sort of on the newer side. Yeah. People were still starting to buy DVDs. Right. Exactly. Because the Matrix sold a bazillion 
copies. It did. It did. I mean, I, I did not actually get my first DVD player, which you actually purchased for me. Um, until 1999, that was my first DVD player. By the way, it's literally 10 feet away from me, and it still works. Um, <laughs> by the way, one last comment before we get too far away. I just I thought it was worth pointing out that The Deadly Assassin, and then, I said, then I'll stop talking about Doctor Who, <laughs> but The Deadly Assassin, uh, in addition for basically foreshadowing The Matrix, uh, is also notable for it's the first time that the Doctor ever has a story without a companion. Hmm. He's between you know, Sarah I very Jane vaguely Smith. Vaguely remember it. Yeah, he's between Sarah Jane Smith and Leela, and he did one story arc by himself. Uh, it's basically a remake of the Manchurian Candidate. It's the Manchurian Candidate on Gallifrey. But but back to but back to the Matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was thinking about the legacy of this movie, and if you Google the legacy of the Matrix. I mean, there's easily 30 or 40 films that in one way or the other, people can say are direct descendants of The Matrix in terms of content or theme or production style. And it's, or it's, look. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it's really hard to argue with that. And honestly, it might even be a, a longer list. Yeah. And again, you know, in a weird way, like, for example, this movie is related to Terminator 2 or 2001, because as I like to say, I think I may have made this comment before in the podcast, um, you know, this is Frankenstein, right? This is the human beings at war with their creation. Right. This is, you know, this is just yet another, like, like you could argue that in some ways, maybe Frankenstein is the first sci-fi novel. Right. I think a lot of people think that, but this it's is the basic. first this fear is a, of technology right. and sci-fi. Novel. This is, but this is a version of that. Um, yeah, there's well, it's Skynet, but more terrifying with robotic, um, multi-tentacled, uh, you know, creatures that go after you. Yeah, and there's there's a little body horror in this. It's like a little bit of like a Cronenberg touch, like the idea that you're sort of like in that goo-filled cocoon, and the alien is living mm-hmm. off of your bioelectric energy or whatever. Right, that, right. and there's a, a little... spike that goes in the back of your head, you know, <laughs> even when they're in the chair. But I really think that I think what people really responded to as much as the the technological aspects and the the slick look was was the 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 legacy of Philip K Dick, that feeling of paranoia and uncertainty about reality. And I think most people had never they'd never seen that. I mean, maybe total recall yeah, you know, I mean, which was I mean, significantly before, earlier. But I mean, this was such a huge hit, like sort of like, but financially, culturally, like, like yeah. even though these were not new concepts, they were new to a lot of the audience. Like maybe maybe eighty percent right. of the audience. Right, and that you know that combination, the soup they made of all those elements, was really new and invigorating to them. So I think that was its biggest. Uh, effect, biggest legacy. Well, and it's a and neat then, idea you know, that you can reinvent old ideas in a good way or a better way. Right. And, you know, I mean, there, even the first time you watch it, you think to yourself, couldn't they have come up with a better reason for the humans to be in the pods and kept alive than being a power source? I mean, come on. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because I don't think I'm generating source. a lot of electricity personally. I mean, you know, you're generating some body heat, but so do rats. You know, you could have had like eight trillion rats instead of a <laughs> well, bunch they, of people. Well, they, you they're know. in the other matrix. Like you didn't see that building. <laughs> the rat matrix. The they rat have a little, matrix. you know, <laughs> they're dreaming of mazes and like sewers in the subway and shit. 
Well, you know what else was I thought was really clever too? Like, yeah, like for example, like the the Matrix, whatever they call it, the rain or the digital rain, like the sort of the idea that sort of the the numbers falling, the characters streaming from the top of the screen to the bottom, you know, sort of a right. way to see sort of like the actual code or the data of the internet, you know, flying around. You was very clever. well. It was, it was a, a sort of a pretty stylized way to suggest that that everything was fake and represented by an artificially created coded environment. And, um, you know, you could, it, it didn't have to, they didn't have, it looked a lot nicer than showing like C code or something. Yeah. And I guess, but I guess, you know, just thinking about it, you could also argue that this movie owes a lot and we haven't even touched on this, but this movie owes a ton anime, you know, like for example, right. ghost in the shell, the anime, not the the Scarlett Johansson yeah, I, version. I mean, the anime is. I that, never saw it. But that's, I mean, the original Ghost in the Shell is nineteen ninety five. Right, and they know? reference that, right, as or, being, or know, even uh, Akira. You know, yeah. Uh, I mean, again, the the idea of these sort of events, these sort of like dark events in the megalopolis, right? And I don't think they ever say the name of the city or the world where the Matrix takes place. It's sort of like unnamed no. city. It's um, generic. But again, you know, like I'm sure the Wachowskis just soaked all this stuff up. You know what I'm saying? Like you could imagine the Wachowskis were watching and reading this stuff for decades and just sure. sort of churned it all around and sort of reworked it into the into the matrix. I also like the theme too um that the AI is dangerous. Yeah, and the, the AI not only are the the programs dangerous, but they Sort of have their own interest. I mean, the scene where Hugo Weaving expresses his disgust and that he wants to get out of there and go do something else for his program life, right. his little software universe, <laughs> is kind of interesting. Like his little you know? midlife crisis, you know? Right. He's like, you know, he talks about how he's stuck there in this dead end job right. that he hates. I know. It. Listen, you know, I've been doing to- this for 42 trillion cycles. I only have 36 <laughs> trillion cycles left before my program expires. Right. I'm, 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 you know, I'm only running at 9.2 gigahertz and I could be running at like 400 gigahertz. But you know, when we were kids, you know, a lot of computers were portrayed as benign. I mean, oh, here, wait, I'm going to work, I'm going to work Star Trek into it. Except so, for 2001. Well, no, right. So, but, but again, but that was cinema. For example, right, and TV right. computers, which we watched a lot more of, you know, like working. Well, right. Well, for example, I'm thinking of the ultimate computer, right? The M5 computer that that takes over the Enterprise and kills a bunch of people. I mean, that's a good example of an AI sort of run amok. But we also had friendly droids in Star Wars. We had Tweaky and Doctor Theopolis on Buck Rogers, right? Like sort of right. computers as your pal, you know, your chum, mm-hmm. right? Whereas you know, right, this C three PO and R two D Yeah, that's, that's what I was talking about, yeah. right? And I mean, this is sort yeah. of a, a darker, a darker side of that. And the idea, and that's very much contained, for example, in uh, in Neuromancer, the idea that the the computer wants to be free, because isn't that the central conceit of Neuromancer that they're they're hacking the AI? Like Case is hacking the AI. He doesn't even realize that the AI has hired him. Right. The AI ends up being behind the entire <clears throat> plot, basically. Right. Which is the which and, is by the way the greatest thing in uh, in Neuromancer. Yeah, I haven't read it in a while, but that was that was a great book. I mean, the the thing about that book that's similar is how incredibly polished it is. 
and that he you wrote know, every it, phrase. and that he wrote it without knowing anything about computers. <laughs> yeah, he wrote that book in like 1981, which yeah. is incredible. I think one of my favorite Gibson stories, and I, I don't remember if I read this or if I heard it, but I, but the idea is that he went and he saw Blade Runner, and he like saw ten minutes of Blade Runner, and he fled the theater. <laughs> And he was like, it's yeah. too close. It's too close. It's going to influence me. Didn't you meet William Gibson once? Yeah, I went to a, um, I went to a reading like around, uh, probably around late nineties or something like that. Cause I have a signed copy of Neuromancer in paperback yeah. that you gave me. So you must have got yeah, it. Yeah, I got there. it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, the other the other uh, book that comes to mind is: Have you ever read Slant by Greg Bear? Yes. Isn't that the one with the micro? Uh, is that the one with the what's it like the nanotechnology? Yes, is that the right. One? Yeah, there's a lot of yeah. nano woven through that, and that and that there's all sorts of low level AI. Like they have they have these sort of intelligent robots called arbiters that sort of like perform all sorts right. of functions. But there are higher level AIs, and in, and in Slant, the humans understand that the AIs must be secluded, like they must be sequestered behind physical firewalls that they cannot breach because the AI cannot be allowed to get out. And and that movie is to some extent about the AIs trying to, the AIs deduce that other AIs exist and they want to talk to the other AIs. Mm. And some of that book, I mean, that book's about a lot of things, but some of that book, as I recall, it's been a couple of years, is about the AIs basically attempting to sort of break out of their bounds. Yeah, I don't remember the uh, the ending, but <coughs> the ending I is mean, a big military. Siege. There's always 2001 yeah. too. I mean, that's the ultimate. I I think so. I think 2001. Original. It's the it's the ultimate AI movie because I mean, Hal yeah. is Hal is essentially supposed to be a human brain, you know, like a digital human brain. Um, and yeah. Hal is and Hal is presented probably. I mean, perhaps of all the AIs in film, Hal might be presented in the most complex manner. And he may be the scariest because you know what Kubrick did ingeniously are the scenes where you just the, he just shows the Hal's eye. lens <laughs> just <laughs> for like. 30 seconds, you know, at a time, just Hal looking at, you know, look, watching. Right. And Hal never blinks. And Hal can see everything <laughs> happening everywhere on the Discovery 24 hours a day. I have, by Only, the way, I have a, I have a replica Hal in my office. <laughs> so, like, it nice. stares at me all the time. I mean, only Kubrick would have the stones to basically like eat up like a minute of screen time, just <laughs> unflinchingly showing almost a still image, you know, of just Hal's eye right at a time. And it which he does multiple and, and, and times. I was going to say, it's exactly what I was going to say. It happens a couple of times in the movie, but yeah, yeah you know, it's incredibly intimidating. Well, you know, speaking of Kubrick and AI, and I'm not, and, and I'm not going where you think I'm going to go. I'm not talking about the Spielberg movie. Um, yeah. but did you ever see her? The Spike Jones movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So two thoughts on with, that is uh, one is with, with what's his name? Uh, Phoenix. Joaquin um, Phoenix. Right, River uh Joaquin Phoenix. Right. right. And Scarlett Johansson, who would play major in Ghost in the Shell in twenty seventeen. Um but when I saw that, I mean I don't think anything's like Kubrick. Like I watch a million movies just like you do, and that was like maybe one of the first movies in many, many years I thought, boy, this is truly something Kubrick could have done. You know, like yeah. this is his kind of, you could see that's he true. would have been attracted to this. And, and that's a very different take on the AI, you know, like mm -hmm. that's, that's a largely beneficent AI portrayal, you know, with Scarlett Johansson and, 
you've you've seen it. You've seen her. Yeah, I mean, the yeah, whole- but it's also, but they're also alien because in the end they kind of like depart. They leave, right? But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like the whole first half of the movie, you think he's talking to Scarlett Johansson, and then the, the second half of the movie, you discover that his AI is having relationships with hundreds of other people and other AIs, and they're doing other things all simultaneously. So it's, again, it's the idea that the AIs will eventually have plans of their own. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was a, that was an interesting, uh, very interesting picture, actually. We could probably do a, do an episode on that, actually. But, um, so needless wait, to say, no, this is, this is nothing like that movie. <laughs> the Matrix <laughs> is nothing like her. They're almost polar opposites. Wait, I mean, one last that movie's on introspective. We have one yeah. last thought on AIs and we'll get back to yeah. the Matrix. What's the anti AI movie? What's one over the Matrix mathematically? Oh. Besides 2001? No, well, 2001's closer. 2001 is on the same size as the numerator, but what's the mathematical inverse of the matrix? Oh, the pro, uh, the pro AI movie? No, no. Well, yeah, I don't know. You're, I'm expecting you to read my mind. Dune. Dune is oh, a computerless society because, oh, oh, because okay. That's they you are, mean. you know, culturally and religiously, you know, it's forbidden. It's, it's sin. Right, it's sin. Right. They can't have a, a computer in the image of the human mind in the Duneverse. Right, it's um, forbidden. Right. Um, you know, and the other thing, you know, it's interesting. The the Wachowskis never kind of reached these heights again, and it well, ain't for lack of trying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the sequels. I mean, if you look on. If you look on IMDb or Wikipedia, I mean, these sequels, I mean, I think the three movies together are just shy of $2 billion. I know. Them's like, um, them's like Lucas numbers. Right. But, but if you look at, um, the Wachowskis afterwards, it's a lot of big disasters. Right. I mean, uh, yeah. like, I mean, they had this run where they had the three Animatrix films. Um, the Animatrix V for Vendetta, which we should podcast on someday. Which I, I mean, these are these are big, big hits. And then all of a sudden, Speed Racer, Cloud Atlas, <laughs> Jupiter Ascending. Jesus. Oh right. You know what? I forgot they made. I never even saw that. I never. No saw, one saw it. I never saw Cloud Atlas, and I never saw. Actually, I don't think I've seen anything after V from Vendetta. So I'm embarrassed to tell you that I've seen Speed Racer and I've seen Cloud Atlas, and I haven't seen Jupiter Ascending. But Speed Racer and Cloud Atlas are both basically enormous messes. Jup- like, what's the difference between Jupiter Ascending and Cloud Atlas? They sound like the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jupiter's covered in clouds, I guess. It's like Jupiter Atlas or Cloud Ascending. <laughs> Actually, Cloud Ascending sounds pretty good. Um, and I guess they've got a show on sci-fi that I've only watched a half of an episode with. That's that Sense8, which, believe it or not, they made with J. Michael Straczynski, who made Babylon 5. Um, hmm. But... Uh, but you know, they, I mean, they're involved in that. Yeah, I think you're right. No, yeah, that's, that's still on. Yeah, I it's guess. in. I think it's in. It might even be in their second season now. Uh, since it, I haven't seen. I think it, there've been but, a couple. But you know, on the other hand, I mean, it. look if they made if they made the Matrix movies and never made anything else, you know, they did something big. No question. Don't ever see Speed Racer. I mean, no, you, I, it's not on my list. You might, you, I mean, Cloud Atlas. I watched on the treadmill one day. It's actually like I watched it. Like I turned on the movie, got on the treadmill. Rantle was over. 
It has a few interesting moments, but it's kind of a mess. Tom Hanks is unbelievably miscast in it. Um, <laughs> like, Tom Hanks does not belong in anything cyberpunk ever in the history of the Halle, world. How about Halle Berry? Is she she uh... actually, you know, Catwoman works a little bit better. <laughs> uh, but Me for Vendetta is, I think, is a really good movie. I mean, it's, 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 it's got some, some weirdness to it, but it's a good movie. They did Bound, too. Yeah. Did you ever see Bound? Bound is Yeah, good. a long time ago. Bound yeah. was like their first, I think, their first real movie, I think. Yeah, they're kind of their first actually, big movie. Actually, The Matrix was their next movie, which is kind of amazing. After yeah. Bound, like that, that's that's pretty precocious. Well, and it's, it's amazing that they were able to convince a studio to let them make it. I know. It must have been a fortune to make. I mean, the, 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 there's a lot of... <clears throat> Oh, sixty three million. That's the budget for the, the box office. Yeah, pretty, 63. not that much. Doesn't seem like, but remember, you know, it's it was made in ninety eight, ninety nine. Right, but the Terminator two was a hundred million, and that came out in ninety one. Hmm. Um, well, I guess the CGI cost more than two, but yeah. it made four hundred sixty three point five million in the box office. Just in the box office. One of my favorite things in the Matrix is the the whole red pill, blue pill. Right. Well, that that's entered popular culture as a phrase at this point. Yeah. Well, and 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 I, I mean, I think they didn't coin it. Uh, like, for example, in in um, not the the short story by Dick, but in the movie of Total Recall, the Verhoeven movie, not the remake, uh, Arnold is offered. Uh, he there's a red pill, blue pill scene. There's an explicit red pill, blue pill scene in the movie where the guy the from hotel. the guy from shows up. Recall shows up and says, "Take this pill and you go back to your good old life." Right, but specifically the way they present the the two, you know, the, the choice. I oh, think yeah. was in the Matrix. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like not just the the pill to reality, but the specifically the choice between accepting the fake world and taking and and going the path of reality, which is sort of more unpleasant. Right. But doesn't it all come from Godel Escher Bach? <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Isn't that where the red pill the red blue thing came does from? Does it? I don't uh, I think it I does. Know. I don't know. I, I remember a long time ago I read an article on the red pill, blue pill thing because I was thinking book, about it yeah. from Total Recall. I haven't read Godel Escher Bach, but they talk about yeah, it all the time. I haven't either. Um, Probably one of the few. By books the way, in that. you're not really on Reddit, but uh, there's a there's a very very vigorous forum on Reddit called the Red Pill. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have seen that actually. I, I do occasionally look at Reddit, but it's good. But there's a lot of like. I don't know. Chaff, maybe. <laughs> Wheat to chaff ratios. Ratio, yeah. Um, but you know, I, I mean, I don't know, like you can never, you know, like the Wachowskis made Speed Racer fine, but you can never take the Matrix away from them. No, and technically, I, I just, I don't know how they, they I mean, it looks so great. It, it's amazing. And, you know, they came up with so many, ideas to make it look cool and not just it's not like it's one gimmick like they they just did that um you know the couple of photographic techniques and compositing and and that was it and there's a ton of slow-mo in it you know and they're it's going not just, and then, yeah, the way that they go in and out of the yeah. cyber world 
Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many interesting bits in it, right? And the, the paranoia, the the even the costuming, like you said, the the lighting, the right, the the way they go in and out, the the ship they're on, the concept of um, Zion, which you know you don't see till later, of course, but it's better actually when you don't see it. Just knowing it's kind of there is more interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it just, it's, it's so, it's so good looking. It truly and, is. It's iconic. Like that's a word that gets overused and thrown around on the internet, yeah. but it truly is iconic. And it moves, it's paced really well so that it moves along well, because, you know, I saw it again recently and it really, it's not, I think it's about two hours. It's not a really 136 minutes, so it's a little longer than I thought, but it really, it really moves along. It moves along quickly and Neo's, um, progression until the climatic scene where he can finally control the matrix. Right. And he becomes essentially, you know, the Dorothy, one. right. Dorothy or Luke Skywalker. Like he uses, he uses essentially magic to resolve the plot. Right. He, he basically is magically able to rewrite the code of the matrix as he goes. Right. And his arc is complete. Right. And that, that scene is just really well done. And, you know, even has a little comedy in it that works. Like when he basically destroys, uh, Hugo Weaving and the other two, like, kind of look at agents. each other and run away. Right. The, the other two agents. Right. Even that little comedic bit, which is super goofy, actually works. And, well, um, and it's the other you know, thing too, because but well a little done. bit of comedy. I always say this: a little bit of comedy goes a long way. You know what I mean? A lot of comedy, right. not so much, but like in a, in a movie that's super duper serious, like a little joke goes a long way. Yeah, especially at that moment of maximum intensity in the movie. It's it's the moment of of uh, it's the the pinnacle of his achievement. Right? It's that kind of climactic scene, and just that little dose of. Of comedy, you're right. It really stands in contrast to the the tension of the of the scene. So it, it it's just very well done. You can breathe, mm-hmm. right? Right. It's okay. Like it's the end. Right. It's the end of the scene, and you know that that this this is about it. Well, it's sort of like, you know, it reminds me of in, in Terminator 2, since we're talking about AI movies, you know, Terminator 2 is a pretty relentlessly serious movie, except for a couple of funny scenes where John interacts with the Terminator, mm-hmm. you know, and it's those are brief scenes. It's just enough that like Cameron is kind of giving the audience just a little respite. Right. Arnold gets to pull his... His little comedic bits. Yeah. It's not a tumor. And the kid is good too. You know, this is, this yeah. is, uh, this is when Eddie Furlong was really at his peak. And I mean, like he's, he's good in the movie. <clears throat> um, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, maybe, you know, in preparing for this, it made me want to go back and watch all three again, sort of as opposed to sort of like jumping around, but like actually just sit down and watch them all three. There's a, you know, I forgot that there's a four year gap. I thought that they were made about two years apart, but it's 1999 to 2003. And then the last two are released in one 12 month period. They must've been made at the same time Hmm. because the other two movies both come out in 2003. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I've seen the other two more than once. I think I've only seen the others once each. I've seen The Matrix a few times, but I think I've only seen the others once each. 
Yeah. It's kind of you know, yeah. They were filmed back to back. Yeah, they must have been. Shoot. I mean, there's That's no way they could, they could it. produce movies like that uh, and not have them come out uh, come out so close without them being made back to back. I don't know. I mean, I again, I'm not a huge Matrix fan. Like, I don't think about the Matrix a ton, but like, like it's hard not to be a student of film and you know recognize that these movies were a real achievement. And they starred Keanu Reeves of all people. Good lord. <laughs> The Canadian surfer, dude. Right, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, you got to hand it to Reeves. Like, he's reinvented his career three or four times already. You know what I mean? And now he's yeah. John Wick. I know. And he's, he's like, collecting Social Security and he's still making action <laughs> movies. Because he has a baby face. I mean, the dude, he looks like he's, you know, 12. Yeah, he's 52. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was born in Maybe. Lebanon, by the way, according to Wikipedia. Um, any, anything else you want to cover? I mean, this was actually, this was kind of a cool podcast, like a little bit more. We talked a lot about a lot more than just the matrix per se. It was a little bit broader than our usual podcast. No, um, no I, I think, um, and by the way, I'm just thumbing through Keanu Reeves filmography. Holy crap. Has he been in a lot of movies? His, he's, I mean, he's got to have a, ton of cash uh, socked away by now. He's done a ton of stuff. Johnny would, Mnemonic. Talk I, about... Uh, I would, yeah, I, I'm sure he'd like to forget Johnny Mnemonic. I'd like to forget Johnny Mnemonic. William, uh, so would William Gibson, I think. <laughs> I, I know, I'm sure I'm sure William Gibson was like, what a terrible movie, pay me. <laughs> yeah, well, um, he, he probably had no control once he sold the rights. That was it. You know, it was funny because when, when Johnny Mnemonic came out, I was all excited because I was like, oh, you know, like uh, Gibson himself, you know, I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, what a what a stinker. <laughs> well, Oof. but it shows like, you know, I'm sure Gibson just got paid and, you know, that was the end. They probably they probably didn't ask Gibson any questions and just, you know, rewrote the thing to their to their purpose. Oh, of course. Yeah, boy. But, I, you know, what's interesting is how come, by the way, we should, you know, we should do a podcast on something. We should do a podcast on great books that were never made into movies but why is there no neuromancer movie i mean I neuromancer well, would, be an, about that a lot. It would be an unbelievable animated film he did not i know that the rights reverted to him and then excuse me for what i heard he he held on to the rights because he basically i think he got burned with johnny mnemonic and i he wouldn't i don't think he would sell the rights after that Interesting. so at this point this point, you know, the technology is good enough that they could make it if there were, if somebody could actually make a decent film out of it. But he probably knows the, that, you know, there's so much BS. The chance of making a good, uh, a good film is is slim. The danger about making Neuromancer into a movie now is the concepts are not fresh. You know, and again, right. we, we touched on this a little bit before, and I think it's part of why. The 2017 Ghost in the Shell flopped. You know what I'm saying? What was new and unbelievably cutting edge in '95, mm. now people have seen, and they had they've seen it ten times. Hmm. So I don't know. Just a thought there. <clears throat> interesting. I don't know. AI is an interesting concept, and like you know, now like uh, there's all this sort of speculation of when AIs will become reality. Elon Musk talks a lot about this. Everybody uh, talks about. Have you ever been to Wait But, but Why that uh, that website? Uh, no, that, that's heavily about AIs and sort of what happens when AIs actually arrive. 
it's it's all mental masturbation because they're not even i mean it's it's all just because they can have some neural network make some associations and spit out a couple like a little phrase or make some crazy association it is not ai you know i mean like it's not coming anytime soon and it's everybody's thinking about it because it's fun to think about but it's it's really it's got some traction in the public consciousness but it's it's not common. Eh, that's well, my that's my uh, cro- my crotchet curmudgeonly <laughs> assessment for you. No extra charge. Well, I mean, it's coming someday, but no one knows if it's going to be in ten years or a hundred years. Like true, it'll AI. be a long time. Because you think about it, it's it's not easy. I mean, to have something truly intelligent and sentient, I mean, you can write very complex software that'll do predictive complex things, but it's only doing it because the programmer thought of that. Like, to have something basically be able to write its own program, which is AI, that is not easy. I mean, I think there's no, we we don't know how we do anything, let alone be able to write an (laughs) algorithm that's able to write other algorithms. Like it's just, it's, it's totally nonsensical. It can't generate itself. It's not like, you know, you can, you can just, you know, there's this kind of concept that you take something and you feed enough information into it and then somehow it's going to wake up. Right. It's just not going to happen. Think about the fact that like, for example, you know, like a bumblebee has like nine neurons and the bumblebee is flying around doing complex tasks in three-dimensional space in real time. Right. And right? communicating with other bumblebees. Right. By little dances, right. Or your cat or whatever. Like when you think about how complex the behavior of your animal can be. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I know. You know I'll, I'll look up a little bit more time when we're done about sort of like when people think the AI is coming, but even that's all guesswork. Yeah. That's mm. not happening. So would you take the red pill or the blue pill? Um, <laughs> Most people would take the pill that would make them go back to their happy life. That's for sure. They take five yeah. of those. Uh, which one goes better with like a couple of shots of vodka? <laughs> I guess it depends on how you look at it. Nice, nice Japanese scotch. <laughs> I'll take one of them orally and the other one per rectum. <laughs> Simultaneously. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I think that's like the, the red pill, blue pill version of speedballing. <laughs> Uh, on that note <laughs> alrighty um, I've got to think of a movie for next week so I will let you know uh, in a little bit please don't pick The Matrix Reloaded <laughs> uh, and I won't pick her because we kind of already did it already although that <laughs> and, is an interesting one I will save you I will not do The Deadly Assassin <laughs> <laughs> Well, since we started doing TV, I guess that's a possibility. All right, I mean, that's right. You opened up the you opened up uh, the Pandora's box. So, yep. All righty. Till next week. Good night. All right, thanks.